Well, welcome to Element City Church, and uh, everyone wave goodbye to our kids. Bye, E-Kids. We love you. All right. Um, hey, glad that you're here, and welcome again. If you're a guest with us, we know um, it's, it's tough coming to a new place, and I hope tonight is a night where you get a little bit of experience and a taste about who we are, and more importantly, about who this Jesus is that we follow. And uh, tonight, we're going to kind of kick back into our series. So by the way, happy Valentine's Day to all of you. You are deeply, elaborately, wonderfully loved by a great God. And so uh, I hope no matter where you are on your relationship journey, because Valentine's can be, can be tough, I know. So you're loved. I want you to know that. And tonight we're going to actually talk about Jesus and love. We've been in this Jesus and series. Took a little break last week for Serve Sunday. By the way, incredible job that you all did. And those of you who maybe couldn't be there, you helped fund it to make it happen. And it wouldn't happen without you. And uh, Brian kind of gave you some stats and things. I think one of my favorite quotes from, from Christian was simply, he's the principal there, who said, hey, you did 10 years worth of projects in four hours. Like for him to get to USC to do all that. So I just uh, thank you for that. It's a great opportunity for us to, to be the church and to show people love in a practical and tangible way. And that's really kind of what we're going to look at tonight as we dive back into the series, looking through the Gospel of Luke. We know there's four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who tell the story, kind of the biography of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and put it in eyewitness accounts and put it down. It's been preserved throughout history that you might know who Jesus really is. And we talk about it all the time. If you want to know God, what God's really like, get to know Jesus because he is God. And he's on display in the pages of the Bible. And I want you to take your, your Bible, if you have it, or if you have uh, just your phone, you can go to YouVersion and all the notes and, and some stuff are there for you. And you can follow along in Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be. And in Luke chapter 10, we get into the story about love and what it's like. But it doesn't start with that. It actually starts with some questions that are kind of provoking in a way. And it's this interesting dialogue exchange that happens between Jesus and one other person. And then it kind of goes into one of his most famous stories or parables that he tells and with a point to it. And we're going to kind of look at that tonight and then at the very end kind of say, what does it mean for us? And what does it look like in the 21st century to kind of go and do likewise, to be this and to live this out? And it's really about this issue of love. Now, when I say the word love, there are a lot of different things. In fact, every wedding that I usually do, I talk about this idea that in America, we have a hard time understanding love because we get this idea of we can love everything from a hot dog like to our spouse, and there should be a difference, right? We only have one word, this idea of love. And you can love your house, and you can love your car, and you can love other things and the gifts and talents you have, and you can love your spouse, and you can love your kids, and you can love your nieces and nephews, and all that. But there should be a degree of difference, like between I love Dairy Queen and I love my nieces and nephews, right? There should be some difference in there, but we struggle to understand what that is. But in this context, Jesus is really talking about this deep, agape, unconditional kind of love. Now, when we say love in our culture, we know that there's a lot of different things and directions that that could take. Uh, it could be complex. It can be a, a great capacity to understand that. I, I think of the great theologian I was reading uh, this week, uh, Tina Turner, who said, what's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. You remember the song. What's love but a secondhand emotion? Isn't that sad? That's just really sad. Let's just pause for a moment of silence for Tina Turner. 
If that's your interpretation of love, that it's just a secondhand emotion, it could be very trivial, very light, very like non-existent in a way. But what we do know is that when we're loved well, and you've been loved well in certain capacities, in times in life, in scenarios that you've seen, you know love is way more than just a secondhand emotion. It has a lot of things to it. It has this power to it. It has this idea that it's deeper and more deeply rooted. And that is what Jesus is gonna get to in this story, but it starts with questions. In fact, in the first century, how teachers would teach, uh, and Jesus was a teacher, he's a rabbi, and he would gather people around, and here's how they would teach. A rabbi would sit down, and people would sit around him, so they, I'm, I guess I'm the only one not sitting. Uh, so they would sit down and things, and then there would be a person who maybe asked a question. And that person would stand up, and out of respect for the teacher, they would ask, and then they would sit back down, and the people would discuss, the teacher would share, and that's what was happening in this particular scenario. So here's what the story is in Luke chapter 10. It's the Good Samaritan story that we're gonna get to in a second. Now, if you're new to church and you've never heard like the Good Samaritan story, you're in luck, you're gonna hear it tonight, but maybe you've heard of the Good Samaritan like vehicle law. Anyone ever heard of that? The Good Samaritan law that we have on the books here in Arizona that says, hey, if you see an accident, you see something happening, something transpiring, you actually stop to try to help someone, there's this Good Samaritan law that says you probably, more than likely, we know lawyers, uh, who won't be prosecuted as you try to help because you're trying to be a good Samaritan and come to someone's aid. That law comes from Luke chapter 10. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus tells this story, and we still see expressions of it in our day and in our time. Here's what he says as he starts off this questioning that begins to happen. So there's an expert in the law. Here's what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So we already know Luke is kind of letting you in behind the curtain a little bit to say, okay, here's an expert in the law. When we think of expert in law, we think of what? Lawyer, right? That's not an expert in the law in the first century. An expert in the law in the first century is someone who's kind of a theologian. They have studied the Pentateuch, which is a fancy name for the first five books of the Bible. They understand the law, the Jewish law that was in place, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They have studied this. And he stands up, not out of respect for Jesus, what's the text say? He stands up to what? To test Jesus, to kind of see if he can get Jesus knocked down a level or two. We know this because all throughout the Gospels, these religious leaders have been trying to knock down Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is kind of knocking the establishment and the way things have operated for years. And he's bucking the trend and he's making things kind of messy. And people don't like that when things get messy. They want control. And so they're trying to test Jesus, he says. He asked him his question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds with a question, which is a very rabbinical uh, tradition. You ask me a question, I'll ask you a question back. If you have some people in your life that you're like, I'm really tired of talking, just start asking questions back, okay? When they ask you a question, just respond with a question. And we'll see how it goes. So, good luck with that. <clears throat> Jesus responds, what's written in the law? How do you read it? I know you're an expert in the law. How do you read it? So this guy responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He quotes 
from, uh, from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6, which is the great Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. You're to love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You're to love him only. And there's no other gods that you put before him, no other priorities that you put before him. And you're to love your neighbor as yourself, taken from Leviticus. Now, Jesus has responded this exact same way if you look back in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, he's asked a different question. He's asked the question then, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus quotes these same two passages and says, here's the greatest commandment. Here's how you live out life. Love God, love people. That's the call. This guy asked a different question. What did he ask? How do I inherit eternal life? Now, you've probably read over that and never really thought about it. How do you inherit anything? Do you work for it? No. An inheritance is what? It's given to you. So the question itself is kind of skewed. And why? Because he's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to catch Jesus a little bit. And so Jesus responds with the question, how do you read the law? How do you interpret it? You're an expert. What's it say? And he responds, quoting these two famous passages that everybody sitting there would have known. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, perfect. Do that and you'll live. You've interpreted it correctly, Jesus says. Do that and you will live. Which is basically saying, be perfect, and you got it. Now, I don't know about you. I look back over the landscape of my life and realize I am, like, really shy of perfect, okay? I don't know about you. If you can interpret, like, how you've lived life, if you look back and there's things, and if, like, the, the movie of your life was showing, if you'd want people to actually watch it. Because the reality is I think all of us come to a place where we realize, man, I am, I am far from perfect. What Jesus is saying is if you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, you have fulfilled the law and you will make it just fine. But the truth is, nobody can. In fact, that's why Jesus came. There's only one person who's ever walked the face of this planet who could actually fulfill the law. Jesus said it himself. I have come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. So there's one who can actually do what he just said. But instead of this humbling this expert leader to go, oh, ooh, I can't do that, he, he tries to justify himself. In fact, the text says, he answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus a second question. Well, who's my neighbor? Okay, if, if I gotta love the Lord your God with all heart, so, so he's assuming that he's actually done that. <laughs> oh, silly fool. Okay, but okay, I got that one part. So who's my neighbor? Who, who do I have to actually love as my neighbor? And it's at that moment where Jesus launches into a story to begin to answer this guy's question and in reality begins to ask a different question because the question he just asked is faulty. It's a skewed it's not something that you can understand. See, what must I do to inherit eternal life is already missing the point. That the reality is, I can either spend all my energy trying to justify myself before a holy and perfect God, and I try to work really hard to do it. But if you do that, friends, my hunch is you'll end up at the same place that I found myself, going, I'm never gonna get there. 
and it's just this treadmill I keep running on, and I'm never gonna get to the destination of perfection because perfection doesn't exist for you or for me. Look at your friend and say, you're not perfect. Go ahead, you can look at your friend. Tell him, you're not perfect. Now, you look back at your other friend and say, I know you're not perfect. <laughs> because perfection's not something we could do. In fact, one of our values around here, we talk about progress is greater than perfection because no one can live out perfection. And so this guy's asking this question. So trying to justify himself instead of saying, hey, I've got to understand that this is really all about Jesus. What you have to understand about the book of Luke is that if you look in chapter nine, verse 51, what you're gonna find is that as the time approached for Jesus to return to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. That is the key verse in the entire book of Luke. Here's why. Everything following Luke 9, 51 is all about Jesus living on mission to fulfill something that you need him to fulfill, that I need him to fulfill, for him to accomplish something that you and I needed him to accomplish, and that is to justify us before a holy and perfect God, that we can't get there. And so this guy is trying to justify himself, and so he asks the question, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story. Let me read the story to you. Here's what it goes. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. What you have to understand if you've ever been to Israel is that Jerusalem sits really high in the mountains. To go down to Jericho is about a 3,000 foot elevation change. You're going through windy, craggly mountain uh, ranges and doing it through the valleys there. It's a great place to get bugged, okay? So here, hence the story. Uh, Guys going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. So to a Levite. Now, Levite is kind of like a person who worked in the church. You have the priest who kind of ran the synagogue type thing, and you have a Levite who's kind of helping co-run it and being there. And Levite passes by. And he goes on the other side and passes by. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine into it. It's kind of a mixture, uh, kind of a medical mixture that they would use back then to heal up wounds. He does that. He puts the man on his own donkey and brought him to the inn. So he begins to walk the rest of the journey as this person who's badly hurt is riding there. He shows up. This is not showing up at the Marriott This is showing up like at a house that has an extra little um, building next to it, like a guest house or or like a small barn or something. And he shows up and he asks the people to care for him there. He pays for things. He stays with them the night. The next day, he took out two denarius, so took out some money, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense, uh, any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus, after telling this story, turns back to this expert and says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hand of the robbers? I'm sure there's a long pause here. Not only is there a long pause, here's what you have to understand. This is an expert in the law, right? A Jewish expert. So he's just listened to the story where a priest, one of the high leaders in that community, 
walks by on the other side. And we, we don't know fully why. There's a lot of ritualistic um, parts to faith in, in the Jewish tradition. And so one of those things is you, you couldn't contaminate yourself by touching a dead person or a dead body. Then you would have to be contaminated. Then you would have to go through ritualistic rites in order to get clean before you could do your priestly duties again. And so maybe is that something that is kind of guiding that conversation and why he passed the other way? The same with the Levite. We don't know. But a Samaritan, whoo. You have to understand, that would be like saying an evangelical pastor sees a guy, crosses the road, and keeps on walking. A Catholic priest sees a guy, crosses the road, keeps on walking. A Muslim imam sees a guy, responds, brings healing. That's the shock factor. Because a Samaritan in those days, in the first century, Jewish people saw them as half-breeds saw them as people who were not the elite. They didn't have the full law. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible, so they didn't know anything about David's kingdom and about the reign of where the Messiah was gonna come. They didn't know anything about the tradition. They had their own temple in Samaria, which the Jews actually went and tore down in the first century because it was kind of defacing them. And there's, there's angry blood between these two people groups. And so it's in this story as Jesus asked, which one of these three was a neighbor to the guy that fell in the hands of the robbers? I'm sure there was a really long pause. And then a response from this expert in the law, really the only response that you would have that I would have, which one of these was a neighbor? The expert in the law replied, verse 37, the one who had mercy on him. Notice what he doesn't say. The Samaritan. Won't even use the name. The one who had mercy on him. I guess he's the one. And then Jesus responds, go and do likewise. It's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating intent and interchange of questions and one of the most famous stories Jesus tells. And I think he tells it in a way for us to understand what love is really like. In our culture, the understanding of what love is, sometimes we ask the question, what's love got to do with it? Sometimes we we ask the question, how do you get your arms around such a big subject? How do you get your mind around it? How do you begin to understand where you're supposed to go with it? What does it look like to be a person of love? Here's what you have to understand in this story. When the expert in the law is asking the question, who is my neighbor? In a lot of ways, what they're asking is what you and I ask. God, how much is enough? I mean, I I know I'm supposed to love people, but like, what's the limit of that? What's the boundary? Like, I'm gonna love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. If I can ever figure out what exactly that looks like, I'm gonna try to do it. And to love my neighbor as myself, what, what does that mean? That's really all he's asking is, what's the boundary? What's the edges? And the truth is, when you begin to define love that way, you're beginning to define love as this law of limits. Instead of the living life through the law of love. So you can't define and put edges on it. Who is my neighbor? That's the wrong question. 
the better question, the right question, is who is a neighbor? And how do I begin to live that way? The bottom line that I put for tonight was this. Love isn't selective or limited. That's like. I can like someone. I can like or I can not like someone. I can put edges on that, but love is not selective and it's not limited. Love is expressive and elaborate and inclusive. That's what it means to live out of the law of love and not the law of limits. To begin to live out and to go and do likewise. So how do you begin to define love? How do you begin to understand what it looks like? I think there's three quick things that we could see in this passage that three requirements, if you will, of love that you begin to see that love requires attention. It requires an awareness to people. It requires an understanding to say, hey, I see you. Isn't that the point of the story? People saw All three of them saw this person who fell into the hand of robbers. Two of them decided to pass by, which kind of leads us to the second requirement, is that love, love requires affection. It requires compassion to be released in a way that you not only just see people, and in our culture, it's really easy at the the speed of life, if we shall say, that it's easy to go through life and not even see people, isn't it? It's easy to breeze through life and breeze through your day and not even notice the people around you. Love requires attention. Love requires affection. That you would be moved in with, with pity or moved with compassion. One of the most described emotions of Jesus, the most described emotion you read in all four gospel accounts is compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion all the time. And it drove how he responded to people, how he interacted, how he led, how he taught, how he lived his life. Here's a question. Are you a more compassionate person this year than you were last year? Maybe that's a better barometer of spiritual growth than how many Bible passages you know and how many verses you can quote and how many Bible studies you go to. Those are good things and they're necessary things and you should read your Bible. You should memorize the word. You should put it in your heart, the Bible says. Hide it in your heart. But if you're a mean, angry person, just stop. Just stop. I know too many Christians that are just angry. Part of it is maybe they're really hurt. And we gotta deal with the hurt to help people over that but I know a lot of people that profess faith that are just angry people. And compassion is some of the furthest parts of emotion that ever surfaces in their life. So love requires attention. It requires uh, affection. This idea that you'd respond, that maybe you'd see and that you'd be moved a little bit by someone's story, by someone's uh, life that's unfolding. And that, thirdly, you would have kind of this love requires action that you would step forward and say, I'm gonna take action in this. This is what the Good Samaritan did. This story that's trying to prove a point is this idea of go and do likewise. Live your life by the law of love, not the law of limits. Don't ask the wrong questions, ask the right questions. Not like, who is my neighbor? That's limiting. But who was a neighbor? That's the question Jesus wants him to see. That's the question he's trying to drill down to. 
is what does it look like to be a person who takes action then? I love um, this quote by Hayden Robinson. Uh, says this, one cannot define one's neighbor. One can only be a neighbor. Your neighbor is anyone whose need you see, whose need you have, uh, who need, whose need you're able to meet. It's see a need, meet a need, if you're able. Uh, we kind of live by this principle, you've heard us talk about it before, of uh, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. We talk about that a lot here. As a church, for a moment, let me talk of, we want to be a church that gathers together, that worships. We got a great team. We want to linger in God's presence. We want to create atmosphere and environment for people to experience and encounter God. And we will do that. But we will be a church that does more than just that. We will be a church who shows up last Sunday morning to say we're gonna serve people who we have no strings attached we just love them, and we love their school, and we love the 490 kids that go there and the families that represent those kids, and all within the radius of our church and the, and the shout of our voice, they could hear us, and we love them, and we know that things are tough, and so we're gonna pour investment into them, we're gonna pour energy into them, we're gonna pour some sweat into moving rock and painting murals and doing all these things, why? Because they matter to God, Therefore, they matter to us. And we gotta be a people who say, okay, I'm not gonna just cross over to the other side of the road. I want us to be a church. I wanna be a person. I want you to be a person. That we live by the law of love, not the law of limits. And so the question you might wrestle with tonight is where are you at in that? Because you're one way or the other. You're either moving toward living with the law of love where you're moved by your attention and your affection and your action and seeing people responding to things, you're doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You know, the reality is we can't fix everything. You can't fix everything. But the things and the people and the circumstances and the scenarios that God puts upon your heart, where you can see a need and you have the ability to meet a need, those are the crossroads of the moments where God is saying, are you gonna be are you gonna go and do likewise? That's the question he's asking. Will you respond that way? Or will you not? It's this idea of do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. We've got opportunities for our e-groups. Uh, many of you are connected into some of our small groups. So we've got opportunities with our schools and other connections that we have all throughout the year for you guys to find ways to express that. Uh, we've got opportunities uh, coming up here in the fall, going back to Ecuador. If you're sponsoring a compassion child and you wanna go see your child, this might be the year for you that somewhere in November, we're gonna take a trip to go back there. Uh, we're actually talking about going a year from now, about this time over Rodeo Weekend, to go build a house for a family in Rocky Point, to say, hey, in three days, we're gonna knock out a house and we're gonna hand you the keys and your life's gonna be different. And we get to bring gifts and pour into that family and work with an orphanage that's down there and to make a difference. Those are some kind of international things. There's some local stuff that your e-group can plug into and to say, hey, we're gonna be a church that goes. We're gonna be a church that gathers, but we're also gonna scatter and go do things and we're gonna be people that live out, go and do likewise. We can't fix everything, but we can fix the next thing. That's how we can respond, and that's how you can live your life, and that's how I can live my life. To say, hey, the most important question is not who is my neighbor, what's the limits here? It's how do I live neighborly?
How do I be a good neighbor? How do I live as a person who is motivated by the law of love to step out and to step up in the moments that God puts in front of us, that we are deeply loved and we are to now therefore go and love people? So how does this begin to look for you? Um, Maybe it's beginning to wrestle with the question of how you doing with your attention and your affection and your action? Because you're moving one way or the other. No one's ever stagnant with those. You're either rolling toward, I'm getting better at that, or I'm rolling away from that. That's the question to wrestle with this week. What does it look like to do for one what I wish I could do for everyone? What does it look like to say, okay, I can't meet every need, but I can meet the next need that God puts in front of me, the next person, the next uh, situation, my e-group can step in here. We could do whatever that may look like. I want it to be organic, but I want us to be a church that gathers, yes, worships great, grows in our faith, but we want to be a church that goes and that we do things, that we're released to be kind of these active agents for God in the world around us, that we never become a church that just hunkers in behind like these walls. We don't even own these walls. This is in our building, okay? We're a church. We're a movement of God. We're not even a building, okay? So let's be a church that goes individually on your own, where you're at. What's the next need God's putting in front of you where you can see a need and and you're able to meet it? Sometimes you can't be able to meet it, but you can meet the next one that God puts in front of you. The fascinating thing about the story, and I'll close with this, we'll worship, uh, take communion tonight. It's just this idea. It's not the main point of the Good Samaritan, but in Luke 9, 51, remember? As the time approached for Jesus to return to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Who's the ultimate, who's the ultimate good Samaritan that we read about? This is the Sunday school answer. Jesus. It's what we see on display in this story. His attention noticed us and our condition beaten, beaten up by sin, left on the side of the road, really no hope in our own. And he noticed. And not only did he notice, he was moved by affection, by compassion to do something about it. And then he took action and he left heaven and he came to earth and he put on a human body and he lived as this great incarnation of deity and humanity weaved together to say, I can be the one who makes a way. And he does. In his life, and his teaching, his death, his resurrection, the communion you're about ready to take as you hold that cracker and you remember, okay, this represents his body that he gave up for you. And as you take that juice and remember, this was the blood that he shed on behalf. It's symbolism, but it's meant to be deep and significant that as you take that tonight, that you remember that Jesus did this for you. He lived with great attention, great affection, and he took action. And then he says to us, you go and do likewise. So let's be a church that goes and does likewise. Let's be individuals that go and do likewise. So be on the lookout this week. What does that look like? And as you take communion tonight, remember that, that he did that for you. And so Father, we look to you tonight as we continue on in worship Remembering you in communion, Jesus, you're everything. You're the one that um, 
made a way for me, for us, to have relationship with you through faith in you, in your life, your death, your resurrection. You paved the way for us to be right, to be justified before a holy and perfect God. We can't do it on our own, but you made it possible. And so, as we remember you tonight in communion, would you allow this to be a significant moment for us as we contemplate in these moments ahead as we worship you? What does this look like for us this week to go and do likewise? I pray that you would always give us opportunities. You'd make us aware to those. You'd give us prior a heart to be compassionate and you'd give us the guts to respond as a church and as individuals. We may not be able to meet every single need, but we can meet the next need that you put before us. So Father, as we remember you, would you stir our hearts in these moments ahead as we worship you through communion, as we worship you through song, would you stir us to our next step in that? We ask that in Jesus' name.